Given the fact that we now have the virus in our hands, it is quite possible, in fact, it's invariable, that we will develop a vaccine for AIDS. Fauci's reign begins in 1984. Everything changes in 1984. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Robert Gallo held a press conference in which it was declared by the U.S. government that the U.S. government had found the cause of AIDS at the National Cancer Institute where Gallo worked. The probable cause of AIDS has been found, a variant of a known human cancer virus. And that it was to be called human immunodeficiency virus, HIV. The same year, 1984, Fauci becomes the director of the NIAID. This saw the rise of Dr. Fauci to his current stardom. I would like to introduce Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases since 1984. Dr. Fauci understood that he could basically save his government agency by defining AIDS as an infectious disease. His agency within the NIH is all about the study of what allergies and infectious diseases. And infectious diseases were kind of on the way out uh, because they'd mostly been conquered by the time, uh, you know, Fauci came along needing to reopen the spigot of funding for his agency and his allies in Big Pharma. Mr. President and commissioners, that it is clear that very soon, certainly within this calendar year in the United States, we will be doing early phase one testing for safety in vaccines. We have NIH-funded, federal government-sponsored vaccine evaluation units. It's a good collaboration between industry, the federal government, and academia. What's not known to most people and would be surprising to many, not all, is that Dr. Fauci and others at the NIH are in partnership. They have patents, pharmaceutical patents, and they're in partnership with the companies. Their official job is to serve the public interest. But that has been sort of set aside, brushed away as if that's only a formality. The 1985 Dole Act allowed NIAID and Dr. Fauci personally to file patents on the hundreds of new drugs that his agency-funded PIs were incubating and then to license those drugs to pharmaceutical companies and collect royalties on their sales. My uncle's daddy deliberately and purposely brought in as his chief administrative aide Terry Byrne, who was the first openly gay administrative aide on Capitol Hill, he was also the first openly HIV-infected administrative aide on Capitol Hill. And this was very controversial at that time because people were terrified of being exposed even to people who they believed were maybe infected with HIV. Think about it. Here we had this new disease that you could have without being aware of it. This gave rise to media scare stories about getting AIDS from toilet seats and stuff like that. The public seems to have its toughest time in separating fact from fiction. Can children contact AIDS by drinking fountains? I would like to know if you can contact AIDS by kissing, 
touching or just being around someone that has the disease. Well, as you know, there have been reports that the virus can occasionally be found in saliva. And in New Jersey, officials say that they will allow school superintendents to suspend students, teachers, or other staff who are suffering from AIDS. There is considerable talk about mandatory reporting of all AIDS cases and required blood tests, and much agonizing over the question of quarantine. Well, for example, if, if the close contact of a child is a household contact, perhaps there will be a certain number of cases of individuals who are just living with and in close contact with someone with AIDS, or just the ordinary close contact that one sees in normal interpersonal relationships. If that's the case, then indeed the implications for the spread to even other groups besides infants and children become something that needs to be reckoned with. So I think it is going to have a major impact on our thinking about what the real confines of the syndrome will be. And when I say Anthony Fauci is essentially a social engineer, I mean that. Because what he does, he re-engineers how people think of human contact, touch, intimacy. You know about pregnancy? Mm-hmm. You know how I feel about responsibility? Yes. How much do you know about AIDS? We have a long way to go to fight against HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. HIV is spread by sharing needles and through sex with an infected person. When it came to sex, Cindy was the life of the party. She went from one partner to another, until one day she met a partner who'd stay with her for the rest of her life. AIDS. Don't experiment with sex. If you do use a condom, or being the life of the party could be the death of you. The scourge of AIDS is fast becoming the most socially charged health issue of the decade. What you see there is a kind of, I would say, almost like an earthquake moment in, in, in time, in American culture, biology, virology, politics, everything. It was a disease that was so horrendous and terrifying that it, it necessitated people staying away from each other. No more sexual contact, no more casual sexual contact. Not only sex, all forms of human contact. And now all of a sudden, as though a switch has turned, now it represents death and potentially murdering somebody that you love. I mean, these are really radical ideas and very dark ideas. Given the, the long incubation period of this disease, we may be starting to see, as we're seeing virtually as the months go by, other groups that can be involved. And, and seeing it in children is really quite disturbing. It used to be that Anthony Fauci, Robert Gallo, and all of them told the American people, if you test positive today, you are probably going to die within six months to a year. Then it became three years, then it became five years, then it became 10 years, and they kept stretching it and stretching it. You needed to be tested in order to know that you have it, and you needed to be tested with PCR technology. Does that sound familiar? And its inventor, Kerry Mullis, was beside himself with anger that it was being used to diagnose uh, people with HIV, which was then supposed to lead inexorably to AIDS, he spoke out against this at the time. Guys like Fauci get up there and start talking, you know, he didn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face, nothing. 
The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope, and if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy, and he doesn't understand medicine, and should not be in a position like he's in. He repeatedly said, including on tape, you should not use the PCR test to diagnose clinical infection with viruses. He repeatedly said that. What are we doing? Using the PCR test to distinguish clinical diagnostic tests with viruses. They've got a personal kind of agenda. They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. When uh, Bob Gallup proved that it was the etiologic agent in 1984, we had a a diagnostic test approved by the FDA in 1985. That was really quick, from literally less than a year from the time that it was shown to be the virus that causes this disease. My mentor as a young undergraduate actually traveled with Bob Gallo to the Pasteur Institute and met with Luc Montagnier and uh, brought back uh, their DNA isolate uh, that could be used to produce the AIDS virus. Luc Montagnier sent a biological sample, let's just say, to Robert Gallo for his feedback in 1983. Robert Gallo famously held those demonstrably same proteins up at the press conference where he declared that HIV had been found in his lab and was the cause of AIDS. Credit must go to our eminent doctor, Robert Gallo. And a massive battle ensued. I went over to Montagnier afterwards and I said, I can't find a uh, reference. Like, who? I can't find a reference to go with the statement, HIV is the probable cause of AIDS. I, I'm sure you can help me. He said, why don't you use the NIH, like the, the CDC report? And I said, well, I looked at that, and that was not a scientific paper. And the people standing around, by the way, who were his colleagues there, looked at him like they were thinking he should come up with a better answer, but he couldn't. Luc Montagnier was always an interesting figure and always a thorn in the side of the orthodoxy. HIV by itself, or some styles of HIV, are not sufficient to induce AIDS. Even from the beginning, actually, we, we thought maybe uh, for the activation of that virus in cells, we need some cofactors. Cofactors are not necessary. I think a lot of the data point to, at best, HIV being a cofactor. And one of the human herpes viruses may play a key role in the development of that disease to the extent that it is attributable to a virus infection. Nevertheless, Dr. Fauci, of course, has been long committed to the belief system that HIV is the sole cause of a immunodeficiency virus syndrome. There was a war that I covered from the first shot fired, which was in 1987 with Peter Duisburg's paper, that most people do not know took place. A war that took place over the soul of American science, the classical science world where you have to prove what you're saying and not until you've proven it do you move forward. And the postmodern, post-Faucian, industrial, hyper-monetized, hyper-propagandized, non-scientific world. HIV 
cannot be the cause of AIDS because it doesn't infect enough cells and isn't active enough. It's only found in one out of 8,000 T cells. It's really unfortunate because what he's doing, he's creating a tremendous amount of anxiety in the people who are infected because they think that there's some conspiracy among scientists against them. It really is very unfortunate. And coming from him, who has, he has some qualifications. Something happened to him in his thinking over the past couple of years. I don't know what it is. HIV was never present by any means in all cases of AIDS, but Anthony Fauci made sure that there was a perfect correlation by eliminating about 5,000 HIV negative AIDS cases. There was a conference in Amsterdam in the early 1990s, an AIDS conference. Doctors started to go to the podium in a session where they were talking about HIV negative AIDS. And they began to say, yeah, I have some too. A clinical AIDS patient has every symptom but tests negative on every test no matter how many times they test. And so there was a clamor, there was a sense of anxiety. Wait a minute, what is this? Could it be, could it be that Peter Duisburg is right? And Anthony Fauci flew in on Air Force Two to that conference and he did his thing and he, he quashed it. He just quashed it. He gave a statement through Newsweek that this just wasn't an issue. It was a misunderstanding. And what they did at that moment was they took all of the HIV negative AIDS cases and they renamed them and threw them out of the official definition. In a brazen move to explain away the anomaly of AIDS without HIV, Dr. Fauci declared that the unexplained AIDS cases represented a new disease to avoid suspicion that his, quote, new disease, end quote, was, after all, chronic fatigue syndrome, Dr. Fauci labeled his discovery idiopathic CD4 plus lymphocytopenia, or ICL. In this tongue twister, idiopathic means of unknown source. I did not know whether HIV AIDS was the thing that was, was the force that killed all of these people in the 80s and 90s. What we do know is that there was a deliberate, purposeful effort that was orchestrated by Tony Fauci, a crusade, to silence dissidents, to make sure the debate didn't happen, to make sure that science that challenged the official orthodoxy was suppressed, um, that people who voiced that science had their careers destroyed, that they were silenced, that they were vilified, that they were marginalized, that they were, they were ridiculed, that they were made radioactive. The publisher said, you know, this is the Vietnam of our generation, so I'm gonna designate a column. And I became the editor of that column and often the writer of the column. Frustration over the AIDS crisis spilled over into a big protest today at City Hall in Manhattan. More than 2,000 people demanding action. An estimated 1 million people in the United States have HIV. That number could grow exponentially starting tomorrow. Fire Fauci. We need drugs. Release the drugs. Is this the story about racism? 
This is a story about sexism. This is a story about greed. And this is war. And the National Institutes of Health are refusing to do their job. I don't have access to these trials. The criterion are too tight, they take too long, and every day I read about drugs that are available and they're not going to trial. There's no access to any new drugs. And I'm coming here to ask for access to these drugs. The FDA will move as quickly as possible to address this issue and expand the, uh, the indication for, for AZT. He didn't even blink. This was entirely second nature to him to unblinkingly get on television night after night and speak of this incredibly toxic chemical, and I mean really toxic. People with asymptomatic HIV infection. Since AZT is a, is a drug that's already on the market, physicians can, can at their discretion prescribe it for whatever it is that they want to prescribe it for. Anthony Fauci made a decision at a certain point and came out with it that anybody with CD4 cells lower than 500, though they were still healthy and not symptomatic of AIDS, should go on AZT as a preventive measure. All participants whose T4 counts are less than 500 should be offered AZT. I knew that the drug had come out of a, an anti-cancer program. Uh, it, it basically, it's a modified uh, nucleic acid. Our, you know, our DNA and RNA are made of of these little chemical bases, and when you modify some of them, they can jam the machinery of cells replicating. That's how a lot of chemotherapy drugs work, and this is just the same. One person I interviewed, his brother was perfectly healthy and had been persuaded to go on a high dose of AZT, and he was dead within a year, but also his face melted, melted away. It's like, it's, it's like Hiroshima, very powerful radiation. He was diagnosed. He had advanced AIDS, near death, just months to live, massive infections in his lungs, all over his body, uh, Kaposi sarcoma, lesions on his skin, high titers of the virus all throughout his body. And instead of being dead today, as most of the people taking AZT were by undergoing hyperthermia, at the University of Rome. Today, he is alive and well. There is a successful series of treatments. I use the word treatments. Uh, there's no one treatment I think is better than any other. Hyperthermia, vitamin C drips, ozone treatment. I had taken my medical records down to the National Institutes of Health to Dr. Fauci's lab and showed them because they have presently discredited this treatment. And that's why our federal government has not allowed it here in the United States as of yet. Um, showed them my medical records and what I did is I blanked out a set that had my name on it showed them and said well what do you think of this their response is well this person obviously got better what did they do Fauciism is a an absolute contempt for natural non-toxic therapies a contempt for the whole dialectic and discussion about what is an immune system what is health how do you detoxify? What does it mean when you're, when you're getting sick from a, a chronic illness? Uh, is it just a matter of attacking the accused pathogen with the most toxic drugs kind of imaginable? AZT 
at the time was the most toxic drug that had ever been put in a capsule and given to human beings. My uncle and Terry Byrne spent a lot of time meeting with Tony Fauci and trying to persuade him to have a parallel track. Their proposal was to create a parallel track approval system that would allow community AIDS doctors to conduct clinical studies on off-the-shelf drugs that neither pharma nor NIAID wanted to test. AZT at that time was headed to be the most expensive drug in history. It would cost $10,000 for a year of treatment. And for that drug to function, Burroughs Welcome had to make sure that there were no competitors in the marketplace. Part of the strategy for the NIAID for Anthony Fauci and for his partners at Burroughs Welcome was to make sure that those drugs did not get FDA approval because it would have killed AZT. AZT was approved in a way that I have said it kind of broke the spine of the FDA tradition, the FDA drug approval tradition that had reigned up to that point where it took up to 10 years roughly for a drug to be considered adequately tested for both safety and efficacy. I don't think the FDA drug approval process prior to that was probably all that safe or great, but at least it was something. You had to prove safety if you're the FDA and you had to prove efficacy for a new drug. That all ended with AZT. When I was at the Wellcome Research Labs, I was very proud to be in a place that had discovered the first drug that became allegedly useful for AIDS. I knew that they had found a, a new way to use uh, an oncology drug and I thought, well, well done to them. I had no idea. I'm, I was like 28. I'm just you know, very happy. I'd never heard of Dr. Fauci at that time. I didn't know it was expensive, and I definitely didn't know it was what that it would actually that it was really poisoning people. Neither NIAID nor Burroughs Welcome ever completed any long-term animal study. Burroughs Welcome financed Dr. Fauci's fast-track human trials, fragmenting their study groups in 12 cities into small cohorts, making safety signals difficult to detect. In 1987, Dr. Fauci's team declared the human study a success and terminated it after only four months of a proposed six-month study, a record-setting speed for chemotherapy approval. That four-month observation period was far too short for researchers to detect side effects that would occur in patients taking AZT for years or even for a lifetime. Arthur Ashe died, and when Rudolf Nureyev died, and many, many other friends of mine who died during that period, during the 80s and 90s of AIDS, my assumption was that AIDS was killing these people. I was completely unaware, really, until I wrote this book. That there was an alternative narrative. Many doctors and scientists and activists believe that it was actually the majority of those men were dying because of AZT poisoning. Arthur Ashe himself suspected that it was the AZT that was killing him and not his HIV infection. Both he and Nureyev were healthy uh, until they began taking AZT. Public health colonialism 
It enables us to show up in third world countries, demand that their leadership tell the people that they are all about to die of a terrible new disease and we have to get in there and we take over. Protecting the needy and the poor and especially people in third world countries from this terrible virus. I worked in South Africa, you know, at the height of the AIDS epidemic. It was a pretty terrifying time. Uh, we didn't really understand what it is. So these poor people would get overwhelming infections, they'd get pneumocystis, pneumonia, and they would die. And we were helpless. And oh, we have to give them AZT, and we have to give them drugs, and we have to give them vaccines. We thought this was the, the answer to the AIDS epidemic. You know, we had no idea how toxic it was. We had no idea how ineffective it was. We had no idea how Fauci et al. had manipulated the data and how they were experimenting on, on these poor people. I had an intense interest in Africa from when I was a little boy. Probably that amplified when I was seven years old. My father came back from a trip to Africa with a film called Africa Speaks, and he showed it on the little 16 millimeter projector that we had in our basement. And I just fell in love with the gun, and I ended up going to Africa beginning. 1964 many, many times. I met over my lifetime with many African leaders, including Jomo Kenyatta, who was the first president of Kenya, Julius Nyerere, who was the long-term president of Tanzania, Nelson Mandela, many, many, many other African leaders. And I had a fertile interest in the problems of how U.S. aid and foreign assistance uh, can sometimes exacerbate problems, political problems, cultural problems, the problems of hunger and poverty, rather than alleviating them. And, um, you know, a sensitivity to the idea that we need to be willing to listen to, uh, to local leadership and that we need to nurture community-based solutions. You, there are certain things that one thought one knows. Uh, HIV equals AIDS equals death. And one of the things that became clear and actually rather disturbing was the fact that there was a view that was being expressed uh, by people whose scientific credentials you can't question. It seemed to me that there had been a determined effort uh, to exclude their voice, to, to silence it. So let me ask you about uh, HIV and AIDS. Why did it take so long for medical researchers to realize there was a connection? Well, when you say a connection, David, what do you mean a connection? Uh, HIV leads to AIDS. Oh, that was, well... But I thought for a while people didn't recognize that that was necessarily the case. Well, that we'll call denialists who are really off the radar screen, so okay. we won't even go there. He brought 24 scientists to Pretoria, and I was there. 12 on one side of the issue, 12 on the other side of the issue. He wanted to hear all around the table what everybody thought and, and make a decision. How am I going to handle HIV AIDS, public health, uh, antiretroviral regimens and so forth in South Africa? I listened and heard the whole story told about our own country. 
it seemed to me that we could not blame everything on a single virus. It's remarkable that he's still alive, we'll just say, his health minister. She had plastic lemons and pieces of garlic hurled at her because she had said garlic, lemon, olive oil is good to drink every day if you want to strengthen your immune system. Pharma-funded activist group, they showed up and pelted her. The cruelty, the bullying, the culture of just absolutely viciously going against anybody who spoke about natural remedies or the immune system or, or the human body. Studies in unborn fetuses in which the mother is given AZT to determine whether or not you can prevent the onset in that 30 to 40 percent of uh, newborn infants who become infected from an infected mother. Get the virus, never mind the person, never mind the, the, the life, and that's Fauciism. York City's Administration for Children's Services had enrolled children in unnecessary and dangerous HIV and AIDS drugs trials during a 20-year period starting in the late 80s. Anthony Fauci helped arrange for the drug companies to get access to children in foster homes in seven states. There was a children's center in New York, in the Bronx, called Incarnation Center, where foster children or children who were considered to have AIDS through PCR tests that were inaccurate were put in this medical center and they were used for experimental drugs. Some of the children were infants. Some of the children were not even HIV positive. Fauci, together with pharmaceutical companies, sponsored these experiments. I use the terminology that's used in the Nuremberg Code. These are experiments, they're not studies. These are invasive experiments. If the children wouldn't take the drugs by mouth, then they would put in a gastric tube. Some of the older children refused to take the drugs that were given to them because they were so horrible. So they surgically inserted a feeding tube in their tummies so that they couldn't resist. And many of these children died. A potter's grave of 80 children. And these were all children of color. My assignment was to go there, so I did. I went to Hawthorne, New York, and I located this gravesite and what it looks like if you're standing before it. It was a semicircle of large tombstones with names engraved on the tombstones. I remember there were there were stuffed animals and flowers and hearts and things adorning those those tombstones. And I also remember there were flies buzzing around. There was a mound, a gigantic hole in the ground covered by astroturf. And it wasn't nailed down, it was just covered. And I went over and I took a corner of the astroturf and I remember, you know, my, my heart was pounding. I lifted it up and inside was just a lot of coffins. They were, they were in there haphazardly. And apparently there was more, more than one child in each coffin. The drug companies which have supported trials at Incarnation include some of the world's largest. They also refuse to be interviewed for this program. Officials at the National Institutes for Health 
insists that any participation of children in drug trials should be voluntary in every sense. These little children are regarded as throwaway children. Nothing really was done to punish those who broke the law. I remember very well when I was 11 years old, my father kicking down the door of the Willowbrook State School, which he called a snake pit because they were doing experiments on children with intellectual disabilities. The children live in Bill, uh, but uh, many of our fellow citizens are suffering tremendously. You had a lot of money at stake with pharmaceutical companies, so there was huge incentives, and there was career incentives for doctors who were doing these kind of experiments. Most people cannot imagine that there are people, especially medical doctors, which Dr. Fauci is, can disregard the humanity of people, including children. It was a horrific abuse, and because it was government-sponsored together with the pharmaceutical companies, they had kind of free reign. New York State and New York City provided the children. The Vera Institute, relying mostly on New York City Administration for Services documents, confirmed 80 deaths and many other children suffered serious harm. The 1986 Act was, was created and signed into law by Reagan. It allegedly created a program for compensation of children who were injured by their vaccines or who died and they would get some level of compensation. It was meant to make vaccines safer and it gave virtually blanket liability protection to vaccine manufacturers and healthcare providers who are providing vaccines. The 1986 Injury Compensation Act was a real game changer because all of the drug companies that were making vaccines were deciding that they were going to not do vaccines anymore unless they got liability protection because they were getting sued at every turn. Now, the blanket liability protection created a boomtown. It created a gold rush. The sad reality is a whole new industry of recklessly developed vaccines that are highly profitable. And it did not lead to compensation to children who were injured. And it absolutely did not lead to safer vaccines. That's one of the tragedies that is across the board when it comes to public health. Because you see, when doctors join forces with government. They no longer comply with medicine's mission and sacred oath to first do no harm to the individual patient. They become agents of government and they do what they're told. A retrovirus is a primitive life form that has no capacity to replicate on its own, which is something that's true of all other viruses. The retrovirus injects its RNA into an existing cell where an enzyme called reverse transcriptase 
converts viral RNA into DNA, which is then inserted or spliced into the host cell's DNA. In the late 1980s, when I was at the Salk Institute as a graduate student, when I was in my 20s, I was working on trying to understand how RNA gets packaged into retroviruses, because retroviruses were the leading way for gene therapy to be developed and potentially applied. That idea was, well, if you can use RNA as a drug, what would you use it for? So my belief was using RNA as a drug to produce a vaccine response by expressing a foreign protein. And so I worked on that and ended up uh, finding a way to get RNA into cells. Once that set of technologies came together, I filed invention disclosures and eventually patents on the use of RNA as a drug. So when I joined the pharmaceutical industry in uh, 1988, there were in Britain something like 15 separate drug companies. There's a very small, a small number of very large companies but they don't, they don't tend to discover many of their drugs in-house. They, they use experts internally to try and identify biotechs that are doing good stuff and then they, they grab them for money and then they complete the development process. Once the mRNA technology had been developed, I left uh, the salt and went to this company called Vical. Vical was actually founded in part to develop antivirals for the AIDS virus under a Burroughs Welcome contract. The patents were sold to Merck. Together with Vical, they spent over a billion dollars that could never make it work because it was believed that it was functionally impossible to manufacture RNA at large scale. But what they did do during that period is keep anybody else from working on it because the patents had issued, uh, which is why there's this 10-year gap, essentially, or more really 20 years uh, between the discoveries in the late 80s and then the real initiation of research into RNA vaccines starting in the early 2000s. AIDS vaccines is not about a solution. It's about a permanent industry. You know, it's like waiting for Godot. Godot doesn't ever have to come. The industry that they've created through the promise that they will somehow have produced this miracle to us is a now one of the giant medical industries of the medical cartel. And it's irrelevant if they ever produce a vaccine. Nobody ever questions them. Congress has stopped even asking the question. They just appropriate the money to Tony Fauci year after year after year to keep this infrastructure of virologists, immunologists, principal investigators. And all of the medical cartel is all in on it. He had a bunch of international global health leaders that he invited to his home that was showing everyone in the tour of the house. And he said, can I have some time with you? in my library, in this amazingly beautiful library. And it was there that he said, you know, Tony, you run the biggest infectious disease institute in the world, and I want to make sure the money I spent is well spent. Why don't we really get to know each other? Why don't we be partners? Our interactions and our collaborations became closer and closer with tuberculosis, 
with HIV, with the vaccine trial. The Department of Justice asked the federal trial court in Seattle to fine Gates a record million dollars a day for antitrust violations. Judge Thomas Penfield Jackson ruled that Microsoft had violated the 1890 Sherman Antitrust Act prohibitions outlawing monopolies and cartels. If you go back and look at uh, Bill Gates' business his, his history as the first execu a top executive and, and founder of Microsoft, um, it's quite clear that he was very interested in, in acting as a monopoly. We've all seen the footage of him testifying as he's rocking back and forth in a chair with his arms crossed in a kind of a rather odd behavior. The Justice Department has charged Microsoft with engaging in anti-competitive and exclusionary practices designed to maintain its monopoly in personal computer operating systems. The Microsoft Explorer decision caused Microsoft to divest from what was clearly a monopolistic practice with its browser technology to exclude other competitors. He was really the most reviled businessman in the United States. And then suddenly, he became the philanthropist. What he's done is taken his toolkit that he's developed in the pressure cooker of competition in the IT sector and turned those same practices towards public health and functionally has monopolized public health through his philanthropic giving that isn't really philanthropy. It's more of a screen behind which he has made other strategic investments that have produced a massive financial return. You've invested $10 billion in vaccinations over the last two decades, and you figured out the return on investment for that, and it kind of stunned me. There's been over a 20 to one return. Modern billionaires that are also uh, often referred to as philanthropists that are uh, increasingly controversial have a lot in common with John D. Rockefeller's reputation. Prior to the beginning of his rebranding as a philanthropist, John D. Rockefeller was very much hated uh, by the American working class um, for a variety of reasons, uh, a large part of it being how he treated workers, but also his business style and the interest in, in his family and particularly himself in consolidating power. In 1910, John D. Rockefeller really kind of took over medicine, particularly the medical schools and they redirected medicine to be totally focused on pharmaceutical interventions and also various surgical procedures. In other words, to make it a real business. The Rockefellers are involved in everything. The World Health Organization, both Rockefeller and Gates. He really points to his father, who's Bill Gates II, as sort of being a guiding reason as to why he's interested in directing a lot of the money of his philanthropy. And Bill Gates II was the head of Planned Parenthood during a time when it was rather different than it is today. When I was growing up, my parents were always involved in various volunteer things. My dad was uh, head of Planned Parenthood, and it was very controversial. That uh, same society also was with some of these Rockefeller eugenics-focused uh, philanthropies at the time. the very, very wealthy form foundations to eliminate their tax requirement. 
foundations don't have to pay taxes. So they simply move their business under the flag of foundation, and then they're exempt from tax, and they gain huge control because they're distributing money to all sorts of non-government agencies. But they get to decide exactly who to give money to, what kind of policies to support, and guess what? In the meantime, they're shoveling in money for themselves. The president of the Rockefeller Foundation, Dr. Rajiv Shah, joined the Gates Foundation in 2001, and in Africa, he directed the International Finance Facility for Immunization. Using sleight of hand, the IFFI enriches Gates Pharma partners with Western financial bonds by passing the cost to future generations in poor countries. <laughs> 